All right. Well, you see the scripture up there, Matthew 20 is where we're going to be sitting today. Uh, first off, um, got to say, um, I heard Marcia pray. So Marcia, there's Marcia standing up and moving right over there this morning. Yeah, yeah. Um, I got to say, I, I got a, a divine encounter uh, report from Marcia. She sent an email in through, through the website. Uh, just encouraging. She, Marcia goes down to the nursing home and she goes and you go to sing and you go to, to, to hospital and worship with the folks who are there and who are in need. And, and you were blessed by meeting a gentleman uh, in a room uh, this week or last week. Um, and just being able to worship with him through, through some, some cultural music and then also some, some gospel music as well. And so I, I was just, I'm blessed by those encouraging, um, those emails and stuff. We've been talking this for a few months about those divine encounters. We want everybody in this room to feel like they are involved in divine encounters, that the Lord has something for them uh, during, in their life where they interact with somebody, they, they are allowed to fellowship with somebody. God brings someone in their life where they're able to share the gospel. And so there's that, that place on the website. You can go click that link and say, hey, this was my divine encounter. And it's not about what we're doing, but it's about recognizing that God is working and bringing us together and doing the work through us. I'll tell you what, uh, last uh, yesterday, my wife and I, uh, we do some fostering, and we like the foster system, uh, and we're involved in that. And we went down to a conference all day yesterday because we have to get credit hours to keep our license and all that kind of stuff. So it was a, it was a seminar, and they did all these workshops and stuff. And one of the workshops, uh, one lady was kind of giving her story because they were asking around the room, what's your story? What are you involved in? And one lady was giving her story. And everybody down there is from the south, the southern part of the state. You know, it, nobody above the notch, like, goes to these things except for, like, Sarah and I. So we, we get down there. It's in Plymouth, so it's not that far. It's not that far, but it's in Plymouth, and, and we're driving down there. And this is just bonus. This is not part of the sermon. Um, but uh, we're, we're there at this conference and just enjoying ourselves, and we're in this, this room, in this session, and this one lady on the side speaks up and says, oh, this is who I am, and this is who I'm fostering, and, and this is where I live, but uh, I'm about to move to Littleton. And Sarah and I are like, Bing, bing, we looked at each other, smiled, and, and uh, we made sure right after the seminar that we caught up with this lady, and she's probably younger than we are, and, um, and she's married, and, and her husband's actually up work here, working here already and travels back and forth because of his job, and so they're moving up here in a month, and we're like, oh my goodness, and we started connecting, and then we, we spent like lunch and the next seminar and all these kind of things, you know, fellowshipping and talking and, and sharing with this, this lady. And just inviting her, wanting to say it's, it's kind of lonely sometimes moving up to past the notch in some ways. It can be kind of lonely. And she was worried about weather and all that kind of stuff. And we're like, hey, we've done this. And, and we started talking about sharing and what do you do? What do we do? And oh, we work in a church and oh, church. And it's like, oh, are you looking for a faith community? And says, oh, we haven't. We've not been part of a fellowship because her, her husband's not really into that, but, but I want to get back into it. Okay, great. You know, then, and just be able to converse and say, oh, you know, we can be brothers and sisters here. Come on up there, smiling faces. And we felt like coming out of that, that the Lord had said, okay, there, you, you were a smiling face, a sharing, caring person for someone who's about to move up here, and you've been able to do that and invite them sort of also into your family and to be a part of the family. So it was great. It was just, it was, you know, you meet those people, and it's like, oh, what a great coincidence. But it's like, you know what? I think just the Lord just continues to pull us together as people. And so, Marcia, thanks for your story. That was great. I enjoyed reading that and sharing that. But now here we go, into, into our word, into the word. And we're going to be in Matthew 20. Jesus is telling another story. We've been talking about Jesus' stories. Oh, by the way, next week, um, the speakers from the conference, they're going to come in Sunday and share 
So um, we'll all get to be blessed by what they're going to share. It's not going to be more seminar stuff. It'll be a sermon. He's going to be delivering a sermon. He'll be delivering the message next week, so we're going to be blessed with that. But we're talking about the stories of Jesus, the parables that he told. And um, this one's really interesting, really great in Matthew 20. i got to tell you, when I was growing up in school, whether it was middle school, high school, college, I hated group projects. Anybody else here hate group projects, especially when you're younger and you're, you're in school, hate it. I, I absolutely hated group projects. When the teacher says, oh, get together in groups, you're going to work on this assignment. No, you know, that's just like, ah, I'm an introvert. I'd rather just kind of do my, my own thing in that. Now, I've kind of grown out of that. I love team stuff now, but in, just in high school, in, in junior high especially, it's like, ah, uh, I don't know half these people. I don't like half these people. You know, they, you know <laughs> whatever it may be. But you get into these group projects, and you find what I found is when I was a part of group projects, it was so painfully obvious that not everyone in the group was putting in the amount of effort and work required to actually get this thing done. It always seems like there was myself or a couple other people who were just putting in the work to get the group project done. And at the end of the day, everybody gets the same grade. And in the back of my mind, I'm saying, this is not fair. This is not fair. You did not see that they were just sitting on the couch or that they didn't even show up at the house or they didn't even do, you know, take part in the project. But here we are all getting the same grade. Man, this is not fair. Think about our own lives. You know, what would happen? What would run through your mind if you're driving down the highway and there's a big old truck, an old truck in front of you, a big old, you know, semi-truck in front of you, and it's dumping tacks and nails and sharp stuff in the road and swerving, you can't get around it, and boom, you blow four tires. Well, after the cursing, you're thinking, this is not fair, right? Am I the only one who thinks those thoughts in those situations? And I come and I repent, and maybe this is where I work at a church because I can always come and repent and, you know, whatever. Um, But this is not fair. This is not fair. Now, I I would, I'm I'm assuming, but I can't assume that uh, those of us here in this sanctuary, we're not playing the lotto. And if you did, I'm not going to judge that. But, you know, those, those big Powerball numbers come around. And even if you don't play the lotto, you see the stuff on TV or you see in the news that someone won a billion dollars. Why not me? This isn't fair. Why, why not me in this situation? You know, work really hard at something and someone else gets the promotion in a job. You work really hard. You bust your tail. You try to do the work. And someone, the guy next door, the woman next door, they get the promotion. That's not fair. That's what runs through our minds, you know? Your students, we got some students here. You prep all week or whatever for a semester and you just don't get the grade on the tests. You know, you don't pass the test or you don't get the grade you were hoping for. We live in an, an instant age, a social media age. You post a picture. I post a picture of my lunch on Instagram and it gets five likes. And the friend next door, he posts the same thing and it goes viral. Life is not fair. I mean, this, this is just the world we live in. And Jesus is going to say, he says, I'm going to tell a story to address this it's not fair syndrome. It's not fair syndrome. He's gone through in the previous chapter, which we're not going to look at, but setting up the story here, uh, Jesus has gone through a string of interactions with the crowds and with his disciples um, about the kingdom, challenging their worldview on the kingdom and what it's going to look like. And he's talked through marriage and divorce and pressed him on that. 
uh, children were coming to him and his followers were pushing them off. Oh, Jesus, you don't have time for this. Hey, go, you can go away. Your parents said, you have a question, but the kids, why don't you stand in the background? Why don't you go to the nursery? Why don't you go play somewhere else uh, more appropriate for your age? And Jesus says, no, no, you, these children, they come. This is, my kingdom's all about the children being like a child and coming. And he, he gets a guy who comes to him and this, this rich guy comes to him and uh, he's pressing Jesus on, oh, what are the five steps for me to get into heaven? What are the five steps for eternal life for me? And Jesus challenges him and pushes him a little bit. He's rich and he doesn't want to give up. He doesn't want to lose control. And he goes away sad because he can't handle the message. Jesus uh, is interacting with Peter right before our, our current passage here. And he's talking about the kingdom and, and um, giving up stuff. And, and Peter says, Peter pipes up, and I think this is the heart of a lot of us. Peter pipes up and says, see, we, us, here, we have, this is verse 27 of 19, if, you, if you're so inclined to go there. We have left everything to follow you. So what will there be for us? And I think if we're honest, our hearts kind of go there. What's in it for me? And it could be a very honest question on Peter's part. He's talking about giving stuff up. Hey, Jesus, we've given stuff up. What's in it for me? And Jesus closes out right before chapter 20. He says, but many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. And so he's, he's closing out his conversation with Peter. He's opening up the dialogue for this next story that he's going to tell. And it's actually, it's interesting. He's going to bookend the end of this story. He's going to be the last will be first. The first will be last. It's interesting how Jesus is, is bookending that there. And so he's had these string of conversations, pushing the kingdom, pushing what it means to be in the kingdom, uh, certain areas of people's lives, um, certain struggle points of people's lives. He's been pushing on them. And um, He's, he's coming here. He says, I got a story to tell about this. Life's not fair. Let's talk about this thing. And we're going to read chapter 20, 1 through 16. And what we're going to do is we're going to read through this passage. I'm going to make a few comments as we go through. And then we're going to spend some time at the heart of the issue. But we're going to read through this rather quickly, as quickly as we can. And then talk about the heart of the issue. Uh, chapter 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. Last week we talked about a landowner and his, his selfish heart, his ungenerous heart, and storing up everything for himself in the barns. And Jesus says, oh, there's another landowner here. We've got another landowner. Jesus is always talking about land and farming. We're, we're going to talk about money here. We talked last week about Jesus talked more about money than like any other topic in his stories. And here we go with another kind of financial story. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. It says, here it is. We're talking kingdom. Kingdom. The kingdom, uh, the kingdom of heaven being God's place where God resides. Where we think God resides. And here on earth, the kingdom is made up of people who walk, people like us who are walking and trying to follow God, trying to follow Jesus, have a relationship with Jesus. And we walk through our relationship with Jesus, and we walk this in this world by the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, this is the kingdom. That's what he calls the Trinity, and a lot of us here know what the Trinity is. If you don't know what the Trinity is, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, we're not going to talk about that today, but come and see me sometime, and let's talk about the Trinity. Basically, he's saying, hey, you know, in the Trinity, God's made this possible. God took the action for us to get us in a relationship with us. God is enabling us to live this holy life. 
This is what God does for us. This is what being part of the kingdom is all about. And here we have the kingdom is like this landowner. The kingdom is like this landowner, and he is going to go out and hire some workers to work in his vineyards. And this would have been common sight. I mean, Jesus is probably walking through a vineyard, or he's probably walking down the road, and they, they see workers in the vineyards. I mean, Jesus was always talking about the culture that was around him. Verse 2. Uh, after agreeing with the workers on, the, on one denarius, which would have been like one day's worth of wages, he's got a group of workers, he finds them, he says, okay, we, we agree, we're cool with this, you're going to work for a, a day's worth of, of wage, and you're going to go to my fields, great, we got a deal here. He sent them into the vineyard for the day. When he went out about nine in the morning, so he goes back out again, he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he said to them, you also go into my vineyard and I'll give you whatever is right. Okay, so it's later in the day. He finds more workers and says, tell you what, uh, if you want to go work in my fields, I will give you whatever is fair. I'll give you whatever is right, the going rate for, for working in the field. And so they went off. About noon, verse 5, and about 3, so another, another time and another time, he went out again and did the same thing. Then about 5, 5 o'clock, in the evening, he went out and found others standing around and said to them, Why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Why are you here? Why are you in line? Why are you still waiting around? And they say to him, verse 7, because no one hired us. No one hired us, they said. Well, tell you what, you go into my vineyard, he told them. And uh, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard told his foreman, Call the workers, the day's over. The day's closed, we're closing down the fields, we're punching out, we're punching out the time clocks. Uh, the day's over. Call the workers. Give them their pay, starting with the last and ending with the first. And so here we have Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is going to be like this vineyard. And there's a landowner, and he's going to bring in workers, and he's going to work the fields. And, and oftentimes we talk about, you know, as Christians, all oh, the fields are, are ripe for the harvest, and we're part of pulling in the, the crop and part of expanding the kingdom and all that kind of stuff. And Jesus is telling the story about this. He says there, there's about five different sets of workers here. And he goes and he calls one group early in the morning, like would be normal. And this, as I was thinking about this, I mean, we don't see this so much around here, but if you've ever been to a state like California or Texas, and they've got a lot of migrant workers and a lot of field work, uh, all around the world, this, this is how labor is done. Where a landowner, someone who has property and who has wealth and needs to, to go harvest his crop or do something with his crop will go and they'll, they'll drive out to a central location in the market or something. And all these guys, all these men, maybe even some women, are all lined up. And they've come from all different parts of the town or whatever to get in line to find work for the day. And again, I don't see that a lot around here, but in a lot of other places around the world, this is very common practice. And so this, you know, this would have been really common that, hey, I'm, I'm wealthy, I got this stuff I need to take care of. Oh, here's the line of guys who are ready to work, and, and the landowner goes and says, okay, I want you, and I want you, and I want you, and I want you, and I want you. You look like you can put in the work for the day. You come with me, pile in my truck, we're going out to the field to work. And this landowner, it doesn't give a reason why this landowner does this. It doesn't justify his reasons. It doesn't talk about the conditions of the field or why he needed more people. But he goes back to the marketplace and says, hey, you guys are standing around too. So I'll tell you what, you want to come, you want to come, you want to come, you want to come. Come with me. You know, it's later in the day and we'll go work the field. He does this a number of times. It's not talking about justifying the, the people who came first. 
Um, it's not talking about the kind of job that's being done in the fields. Why, why did he have to go out and find more workers? It really doesn't say. It could have been weather-related. Hey, a big storm's coming through. we got to clear this crop. I don't want to lose anything. So, man, I'm going to hire and pull everybody that I can to work in their fields. It doesn't really say, and that's not part of the story. It's not talking about work ethic. He, he said, really says nothing about the work ethic of why these guys showed up early and why these guys were standing around all day. It really doesn't speak to any of that. But he says, hey, there's something in the fields. I got to pull in my crop. I want to include you. I want to include you. I want to include you. And I'm going to invite you throughout the day. And at the end of the day, as was set in this culture, as was probably common practice in many cultures around the world, is that, hey, end of the day comes. And what are we going to do? We're punching out. You're going to come to me. And I'm going to go down the line and give you your pay, each and every one of you. And Jesus, in his brilliance, He's going to be hitting the audience, pulling the audience in. And in his brilliance, he says, tell you what, this landowner, he's not going down, okay, you worked the longest, okay, line up from who was here at the start to who was here at the finish. He went the opposite way. He says, Those, the ones who came last, you're going to pay them first, and you're going to move backwards through the line. And Jesus is telling the story in this way to pull his audience in to make sure that they hear the point of the story. And so here we go, verse 9, verse 9 and 10. When those who were hired about five came, they each received one denarius. These guys came at five o'clock. They probably punched out at six. So imagine one hour, one hour's labor, okay? And he's, he's given them a denarius. We already said that a denarius is a, a day's wage, all right? They've come, worked one hour, they received one denarius. So when the first ones came, so he's working his way down the line, the first ones came, they assumed, they have, they have all this time, you know, imagine, imagine 30 or 40 workers in this line, okay? If he's pulling about 10 people or so each time in this line, it doesn't say, I'm just kind of making that up, but he's, he's got this huge line, and oh, here's one for you, and here's one for you, and here's one for you, and he works his way all the way down to the first, verse 10. So when the first ones came, they assumed, they assumed they would get more. You know what? Hey, one hour's work is worth a denarius? My gosh. I am set for the week. I'm set for two weeks. I put in like 10 hours. This is like 10 days. Man, my family is taken care of. But they also received a a denarius each. Pause right there for a second. Pause right there for a second. Come to the end of the day. Imagine this. Imagine if we were uh, in a company or in a factory and this was happening to us and we here in this room showed up early we punched the clock, we put in a good day's work, and uh, we, we knew what was coming to us. And then all of a sudden, these people who had come in later um, throughout the day, you know, you got the person who works the one hour at the end of the day, and they're punching out. And, and imagine a boss giving each of us the pay for the day. And imagine him walking down the line and saying, well, here's $100 for you, and here's $100 for you, and here's $100 for you, and here's $100 for you, all the way down the line. Pause and sit on that for a second. What is our reaction going to be? Not fair. Oh, goodness. You get into the heart of the story. You want to come up here and preach this message? You just, you're right on this thing. You're right on this thing. Yeah, what, what is our heart going to say? What is one of our, our, our first reactions going to be for this guy who has passed out $100 down the line no matter what you did during the day? No matter what you did during the day, he's passing out $100 at the end of the day. I think my expectation would be, oh, my goodness, 
whew, I put in so much work. Yeah, okay, I, I'm counting the $1,000 that's coming my way because of my 10 hours of work. If you're in the first group, I think we, we all agree. We're going to say, that's not fair. That's not fair. We're more concerned, if we look at our own lives and we look at our own hearts, sometimes we're more concerned with the, the time. Is it right? Let's measure this. What is it? How, how does my time hold up to your time? We're, we're interested in the talents, the work we put in, and the amount of work we do compared to another person. And we're interested in the tenure as well. I've been here longer. I deserve more. And our hearts can move in that direction. And of course, at the end of the day, we're going to say, whether we think it or we say it, that's not fair. That's not fair. And here we go. Verse 11. Truth comes out. Truth comes out. Verse 11 and 12. When they received it, the first group, they received it, they began to complain to the landowner. I imagine them gathering all around him saying, what, what do you mean by this? What's going on with this? These last men, these guys who you brought in last, they put in one hour's worth of work. And you made them equal to us who bore the burden of the day's work and the burning heat. Did you see what we were doing today? Did you see how we were slaving in your fields? Did you see it was a very hot day? It was like a, a Texas kind of day. You know, and here we are slaving away in the fields in the heat for you. And, 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 and boss, you had the gall to pay them the same that you said you would pay us. That's not fair. This isn't fair. Let, let me let you in on a little secret here. This is, this is where we're going to go today. I mean, life isn't fair. Who's pointing that out? You know this too. You already know this. You've read ahead. Life isn't now, Nick, how can you stand at the podium? I thought we wanted to be encouraged. I thought we wanted to be loved on by Jesus. I thought we wanted to... Life isn't fair. This is, the world we live in is not fair. We, we are not all equal here in possession or gifting or time or age or, or profession or whatever it may be. That just the basic... Basic life is not fair. And we get all wrapped up around, well, that, well that's not fair. <laughs> Life's not fair, it's not fair, kind of thing, that kind of mentality. I read an article, it was talking about you know, living life and living in an unfair world and all this kind of stuff. And there's some great psychological stuff out there. There's some great Christian writing out there about this. But the, the first line read, unless you're winning, unless you're winning, Okay? Most of life will seem hideously unfair to you. Think about that. That's pretty profound, a pretty strong statement. Unless you feel like you're winning, life will feel hideously unfair for you or to you. If, if you're not in control of the situation you're going to feel like things are not fair. If you're not allowed to, to run it or, or the organization or the family is not moving in the direction you want them to move in, you're going to feel like life is not fair. Your situation is not fair. You're passed up for a promotion uh, when someone else who's, who's only put in the, the, the two years' worth of work, well, you've been at the company for 10. 
if you're not moving up, we're, our, our heart takes us in the direction of, of saying, that's just not fair. How, how is this possible? How is this right? What, what are we going to do about this? Unless we're winning, unless we feel like we're <laughs> winning, we have the power, we have the control, we have, we're guiding things and things are working out in our favor, life will feel hideously unfair to you. That's a pretty strong statement. But I think it rings true. If we, if we dig down to our, our hearts and what we think and how we feel, I think that, that rings true. You know, we're, we're trying to teach our kids this stuff. Life isn't fair. You don't always get what you want. They've got siblings. This, this is pretty evident in our house. You're not always going to get what you want. You know, um, we teach them that you, you don't always get what you think you deserve. You might, you might not always like what you get. And the unfairness of life, I found, the unfairness of life unravels itself, unwraps itself, ironically, so profoundly on the day of Christmas. When you're in a family and you've got your kids and your cousins and all these people, it just, the, the life, the unfairness unwraps itself right before you because, oh my gosh, you're never content with what's sitting in front of you or what you've unwrapped if you're a little kid especially. It's like, well... I, I put that on the list too. And you know, whatever, you're always comparing you know, what, what you're getting, what they're getting. And, but we're trying to teach our kids, you're not always going to get what you like. We just have to deal with that. This is, this is just life. Life is not fair. And the landowner responds to this. He, he comes into the conversation. He doesn't just leave me. He says, well, get out of here. I'm, I'm never hiring you again. He doesn't, and that's not his response. But he has a pretty strong response to them in verse 13. And again, we're going through this pretty quick here. He replied to one of them, friend, so he's pulled one aside, friend, I'm not doing you any wrong, right? I mean, I'm not really doing you any wrong. Didn't we agree at the beginning of the day that you would work for a Daenerys? Didn't we agree upon that? You said, okay, we shook hands, you got in my truck, we went off to the fields. That's what we agreed upon. Take what's yours. You have been, I have not cheated you. I didn't say, oh, well, tell you what, I only have enough to pay you a half or whatever. I've not cheated you. Take what's yours and go. I want to give this last man the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with what is mine? Are you jealous because I'm generous? Oof. The landowner says, what's, what business of it is of yours if I want to give out my, my money in a certain way? What, what's, what's that to you if I want to be generous to another person, but, but instead we, we find ourselves, we get in trouble and we focus on, oh, that's not fair, I didn't get what was mine, and we don't focus on, as the, the landowner saying, the grace, the generosity that, that he wants to give out to his workers. The, the reality is life isn't fair, but God's grace is good. Life isn't fair, but God's grace is good. One way for those workers to look at the situation is they didn't get theirs. They thought they deserved more, and that's the way they perceived the situation. Another way would have been for them to look at those families and their families and say, oh, isn't it a blessing that all of our families were taken care of? I actually get to put food on the table tonight because I labored and I worked. I get to put food on the table and take care of all my, my needs, the rent, the mortgage, the food, the clothing, all that stuff I needed to take care of today, I actually was able to take care of that because I was paid the wage by the landowner. And isn't it a blessing that this family over here was actually able to take care of themselves as well? But we don't do that. We, we look at ours and we look at what is... Mine, what do I deserve? 
<coughs> These first set of workers were not grateful, and therefore they were not happy. I, I imagine them at the beginning of the day, standing in this line, and imagine 100 people meeting in the marketplace, 100 guys meeting in the marketplace, and the landowner's coming out, and you know, he says, well, who wants to work today? Your hand's shooting up. That is what you are there for. You are there to get a job. You are there to provide your family for your family at 6 o'clock in the morning. Maybe you brought your own tools. Maybe, maybe whatever, you got up early. Whatever it is, you are there to provide for your family, get the job. And the landowner says, who wants to work? That's me. And he says, okay, great. You, 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 get in the truck. Let's go. I can imagine as those men are getting in the truck and they're leaving, 90 other men behind, are they pretty happy about what's going on? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I got chosen. You know, I get to work today. I know I'm going to be able to provide for my family because I'm going to earn the wage that we agreed upon is going to take care of my needs for the day. I think these workers would have been happy at the beginning of the day. But their ungratefulness, their, their, um, their, 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 as they were looking at life and saying, no, it's not fair, their ungratefulness turned their happiness and stole their happiness away. Theodore Roosevelt, I found a lot of great quotes on contentment and stuff like that. We're not going to list them all, but Theodore Roosevelt said, Comparison is the thief of joy. And these men had their joy stolen. I think they, they would have been joyful at the beginning of the day. I think they would have been joyful workers at the beginning of the day to get into this labor and do the work and take care of their family. Comparison, though, you looking at what did he get? Well, what did she get? What did they get over there? Comparison is the thief of joy. They started out probably very happy, but as they got to comparing their situation with someone else's situation and the blessing that came from this day of work, their joy was stolen from them. Now let's talk a little bit about our, our Christian walks. Let's talk a little bit about our Christian walks. I've been walking with the Lord for almost 40 years. You're probably thinking, Nick, you don't look that old. Well, thank you very much. But I've been walking with the Lord for almost... 40 years since I was a little guy. I've been in church since about the day I was born. My grandfather was a preacher. My family was the good Christian family. We went to church, and, and I've, I've, been, I've known the Lord for about 40 years. Some of us here can, can relate to that. Some of us here say, oh, well, it's been 20 years. It's been 30 years. It's been 15 years. It's been 10 years. Some of us here are saying, no, it's not been that long. I'm brand new to this thing, or no, I haven't even dived into this, this, this Christian life, and I'm still questioning what it's about, but we're at various stages. And, and speaking to us who are older Christians, Speaking to the older Christians in the room, include myself in this as well, sometimes it's the hardest for us to live in grace instead of what we feel like we're bringing to Jesus. Because when we see new people who have come to the Lord, young people who have come to the Lord, and there's, there's such a joy and a passion and an excitement. And there even seems to be maybe even extra blessings that things are turning around in their lives. Maybe addictions are falling to the wayside. Maybe families are being changed because Jesus has been infused into this situation and brought into this situation to bring healing. And so we see all these things happening. And we, what do we say? Well, Lord, why can't you bless me like that as well? Do you see how long I've been working for you? Do you see how long I've been struggling and striving and how faithful I've been to you? And I think that if we, if we got to the, the core of our heart, even for those, who've been, for those of us who've been Christians for a long time, sometimes we struggle with this idea of grace. And Lord, do you see 
what I've been bringing to the table? Do you see how long I've been working in the fields? And this is what you give me, and this is what you bless them with as well. And I think that's a real struggle. I've seen it throughout my life. I've, 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 I've walked with people who are older than me, and, and there, there seem to be, instead of a, a root of joy growing in them, a, a root of bitterness growing or a root of discontentment growing, even in their relationship with the Lord. And I think it's something we have to be very careful with. And the, the reality is this, this world we live in, life isn't fair, but God's grace is good. God's grace is so good. I see a, a, just a strong picture of grace. You see the thief on the cross in Luke 23. You've got two thieves on the cross. One is cursing Jesus, and one turns to Jesus. He recognizes him as his Savior, his Messiah, and he says, Remember me. When you get to your kingdom today, remember me. And what does Jesus say? Oh, today you're going to be in paradise with me. There was no work. There was no Bible study. There was, there was none of the activity. There, there was no, you said a certain prayer, or you've done this or whatever. You've, you've get, lived the good life. This guy immediately was invited into the kingdom of God. And if we, if we, on a worldly perspective, if we put that thief on the cross next to a Peter, a Paul, another apostle, a believer, some of these, 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 these believers in the faith, our, our forefathers in the faith who've been walking for a long time, and, and if we put them all stacked next to each other, what do we do? We start to compare and contrast. And, but this thief, the grace was opened up to him in an abundant abundant, lavish way, and he couldn't do anything to get there himself. But it was the grace of Jesus, the grace of God, that said, hey, you're in this family. You're in this family. You are blessed. Actually, he was, in eternal things, he was more blessed than some of the others who were around him who were following Jesus. Imagine immediate, immediate in the presence of Jesus, immediate in the presence of God. Instead of saying, I've provided for my family, instead of saying, I've been blessed this day because I put in the work, the first set of workers, they focused on, I didn't get as much as they did. And it's just not fair. Proverbs 17 says, A joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. Dries up the bones. Oh my goodness. You know, life is not fair. We're all going to encounter unfair things. I was finishing up the details, just rearranging a few things last night, and my college football team was making it abundantly clear that life is not fair. You know, it's just not fair. Why me? Why can we not have the year? Why can we not hold the trophy up? Why are we going 2 and 14? You know, why is, why is that? Anyway, we get wrapped up in these things. Life's just not fair. We, we study for a test and we, we fail. You know, we're all different. You're passed over, like I said, for promotion or something at work. You, you, you do all this stuff. Relationships aren't fair because they're messy, because we're, we're human. And it feels like the world is out to steal our joy. And I think the question for today is, what, what are the I didn't get it moments in our lives? Where our heart says, oh, I didn't get it. It's not fair to me because I wasn't blessed or rewarded in this certain way. And what do we do with that? What do we do with that? Well, if you've been a Christian for any length of time or you've been at this church, the first thing we're going to say is you go to God. You know, we're always going to say you go to God. Contentment comes through Him. And we looked at Luke 12, you know, a while ago. Luke 12, and where it says, we're not going to go through this. We're not going to read through this. 
because it's a lengthy passage, but what is the cure for anxiety? Oh, it's, it's going to God, realizing he's in control. Jesus is saying in this story, don't worry, don't worry, don't strive, don't be anxious. The Father knows what you need. The Father in this story of the vineyard knew that each and every family represented in his field, they had a certain need for the day. And he says, here you go, here you go, here you go, here you go, here you go. I'm taking care of the families. First, we have to go to God. We have to also ask ourselves, is this something that I can control? Life is not fair. Is this something I can actually control? There are certain things that we can. We can give a word. We can, we can confront somebody. We can, we can make an argument on somebody's behalf or on our own behalf if there is real injustice in the world. We can make a change. We can vote different. We can do all these things that we have control over, but there are certain things in this world that we can't control, and we have to decide, is it worth carrying the anxiety? Is it worth carrying the hard feelings? Is it worth carrying those feelings of uh, life is unfair because you were blessed and I wasn't? Is it worth carrying those feelings or do we need to let those things drop away from us? And one of the ways that we do this, I think, um, is we cheer on other people. We cheer on other people. We, we, We go to God and ask him, for contentment, to help us process through the situation. We, we ask ourselves, is this something I can control or I have power over? Is this something someone else is dealing with or controlling and I, I just can't do anything with it? And we cheer on other people. I think finding contentment is being happy for other people around us and saying, man, the Lord has really blessed you. Praise God. Praise God. When I work with some struggling folks like with anger or anxiety or stuff like that, um, I'll often have them list the good things about the situation or the good things about the person that they're struggling with. Say, hey, can we start to change our mindset, not about you're the enemy or you're the enemy or you're the cause of my anger, but what are some of the, the good things, the blessings that can be turned around in that situation? And even as the scriptures say, you go to prayer for them. You go to prayer for them. And you start to see the world through other people's eyes through that Emerson writes, in order to achieve contentment, one should cultivate the habit of being grateful for every good thing that comes to you, and I would say for every good thing that comes to someone else as well, and give thanks continuously. Doesn't that sound like a scripture passage where Paul says rejoice in everything? And again, I say rejoice, rejoice in everything. Life isn't fair, but God's grace is good, and God isn't seeking just to make this world fair. I don't think that's God's goal in this world is to make everything fair in this world. He's seeking to make this world more and more grace-filled. And he does that through us. He's asked us to, to do that for him. He's not seeking to make everything fair. He's seeking to make this world more grace-filled. And you know what? Following Jesus is a very difficult choice. Each of us here, if we've we've chosen to follow Jesus, it's been a very difficult choice because it means to give up stuff. It means to lose control in some situations. It means to allow God to work and be God with who he is and what, what he is going to do. And we have to put away the idea of, I have to get mine or what's in it for me, Peter's statement. Well, what's in this for us? We have to allow that to, to fade away, to be, be shoved to the side. Because at the end of the day, the story is all about the kingdom. Jesus says, the kingdom. This is about the kingdom, how the kingdom of God operates. And the kingdom of God is not built on production and what you bring or what you've done. It's built on grace. 
And in the end, the manager, he wasn't worried about dividing up his profit based on the works of his employees. He was more concerned about dividing up his profits based on grace. I see your family. I see your family's in need. This is what you need for the day. I see your family's in need. This is what you need today. I, I see you. This is what you need for the day. And the value of man in this story isn't shown in the work that he has done. The value of the man and the men in the story is shown in the manager who brought them in. If you think about that, I, I had to think about this and wrap my head around this a little bit this week. The value was not on each and every man and what they brought to the situation. The value in the story is the, 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 the power in the story was is the manager who brought them in and provided for all their needs. The value was in the manager who invited them in to be part of his effort and part of his thing and part of his work. And he said, because you're part of this work, I'm going to bless you. You've been like family to me, and I want to bless you as well. We're going to end with this, this scripture, very familiar passage here. Ephesians 2, 4 and 9. And I think we've we got to keep going over these kind of passages if, in our devotional reading and as we're, we're processing through our own lives. But gr- God, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses and our sins. You are saved by grace. Nothing that we've done. Nothing that we've done. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavens, in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. You've been saved by grace through faith, not of yourselves. It's God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. You look at passages like this and you see God did this. God did this. His grace, his riches, his power, his his work, nothing of our own. And he invites all of us into this. And life is not fair. We're going to walk this earth, hopefully each and every one of us for a a long time here. We're going to walk this earth, but the reality is this, this life is not fair. It's not fair. But God's grace through it all is good. And the workers missed the grace. The workers in the story, they missed the grace. We have to be careful that we don't fall into that same trap as well, that we don't miss the grace of God that is sitting right in front of us. We're going to be reminded of this today. We're going to celebrate in the grace of God today by taking the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper, we're going to, I'm going to invite the men to, to get the Lord's Supper ready. We're going to take part in the Lord's Supper where, where, where Jesus, what did he do for us? All of us here in this room, all of us in our towns, in our communities, are sinners, are sinners. But Jesus Because of the grace of God, the mercy of God, Jesus took upon himself to to bear the sins for us, to go to the cross for us, to raise himself again for us. And he's invited us into his family, and we get to do that as family today. We get to take part in that. So I'm going to have the gentlemen, they're going to come forward with the the plate and the cup. Tell you what I want us to do. We're, We're going to get into worship right after communion, some more worship set. Um, when, when you get the, the bread, when you get the, the drink, you go ahead and, and you pray out to the Lord. You, you, you fellowship with the Lord. You thank the Lord. And you t- take those elements as you feel led. Don't wait for me to get up or don't wait for someone to get up. You just, you just dive in and take those elements when you feel led.
We're here to celebrate the grace that God has just freely, lavishly just overflowed all, all over us. All over us. We, we've been touched by his grace and we've been blessed by his grace. So when that comes to you, uh, you, you fellowship with the Lord and then you take those elements and then we'll have these, these uh, young adults lead us in more worship.